you believe it we have hit episode 200 of do you expect us to talk i'm your host becca and it's always joined by fellow co-host chris and dave and also along for the ride for our special series is our extra special guest charlie brigden how are you all good evening folks hello everyone hi i'm glad we've got a special film for our 200 <laughs> special anniversary oh dear and you know we it will fit in with the misty-eyed nostalgia. You know, remember when we talked about Lionel Richie? <laughs> what, you mean nostalgia for other stuff? That... Other, stu- other stuff, yeah, other yeah. things. Other stuff, other, other series film. we've really enjoyed. Uh, <laughs> other uh, random sitcoms that we remember watching as a kid. And <laughs> Yeah, this is kind of the midlife crisis of the series. Just, Just, we're a little bit past, you know numerical middle the numerical middle so this is like yeah this is like us going and buying like a sports car and trying to yeah sports Uh, car yeah becca what are we doing for our 200th episode jamboree (laughs) we are treating our listeners to a review of the planet of the apes 2001 remote starring marky mark and the funky bunch (laughs) (laughs) yeah right get it out the way there we are yep mark Wahlberg. Hello, Bon Carter. I'll be calling a HPC shot, the thing. Uh, Tim Roth, Michael Clark Duncan, Estella Warren, Paul Giamatti, I didn't notice till the other day, yeah. David Warner, Chris Christopherson, Kari Hiruki Tagawa, whose name I still can't pronounce, Deep Roy, and also cameos from Linda Harrison and Charlton Heston as an uncredited role as Dr. Zeus, Dr. Zeus. The original score by Danny Elfman, Wake Up Makeup by Rick Baker, directed by Tim Burton and released in 2001. I put my teeth in. Uh, this was the first time I ever heard the term reimagining. He didn't want to call it a remake. Reboot, yeah, had, re-imagining, reboot hadn't it? really taken sort of hold as a term. So they called it a reimagining, which when you saw the end result just made him seem even more pretentious. I think, yeah, if you call something a reimagining these days, you just think, oh, what? You know, it does sound very pretentious. Yeah, I, I, it kind of makes sense because it's kind of distances yourself. It doesn't tie you down to like just basically repeating the. The, the same thing again doesn't it um, I guess so I don't necessarily have an issue with reimagining but I don't think his heart was in it reimagining to me just gives me the idea that he's really sort of unlocked his creativity for this Yeah, and yeah I think it's Tim Burton does a blockbuster for the first time in like 12 years or whatever it was well, I suppose Batman. This is kind of probably a little bit far out for him, wasn't it? I guess I said it well, even though he's kind of known um, for you know slightly kind of um, offbeat, edgy, or edgy, or kind of you know sort of going a, going a different a different path with a kind of like maybe a gothic edge to him. Um, this to me seems a bit different than his usual output. I I wouldn't be able to tell you if this was a Tim Burton film if I didn't know anything. No, I, d- I was just about to say the exact same thing. And, and, and funnily enough, when I think about hyped films of 2001, this would probably be second to Fellowship of the Ring. 
I do. I remember. think that was probably like the most most hyped yeah. movie. Of I, I, I was living in Birmingham, and I, there was a lot of hype around this. It was very very busy opening night. Um, yeah, it, it was like there was a feeling like a major franchise had been resurrected, and it was just an enormous disappointment. I remember going and seeing it in a packed cinema screen opening night, and just walking out a bit baffled that I, I don't know what their goals with this was even. Did you all see it theatrically or close to release or what? Yeah, first day. Yeah, oh, wow. I, I saw it at the cinema um, theatrically. Uh, I, and the only thing I can really remember is that I was in London. Um, uh, but I can't, don't think it was first night or anything like that, but I, I, remember, I do remember seeing it and it was in a, in a packed cinema. Uh, and that's about as much as I remember. The other thing I remember is uh, Mark Wahlberg had not been. I'm trying to remember would it, if I've if I'd seen Mark Wahlberg in much before this. He was in Three Kings the year before. Uh, David O. Russell film that I liked. Let me just look. I'm just looking at his acting credits to go back to around here. I just want to say there has never, ever been anything funky about Mark Wahlberg, ever. So you weren't feeling it, feeling it? No. Okay, oh, maybe, of maybe <laughs> the prosthetic penis in, uh, in oh, Boogie Nights. Yeah. Yeah. So what else do we have at the year? It's quite um... impressive. Oh, he did The Perfect Storm as well. So, okay, he was somewhat known by this point as an actor, not just... No, he's, he's he striking out, much. Uh, but really, if you look at his really known films, you've got Boogie Nights. Oh, Harry Potter also came out that year. Uh, the first one, later in the year. Yeah, and um, also Shrek I... and the Ocean's Eleven movies. Shrek was Shrek was um, the first in a franchise, so that yep. didn't have quite... Yeah, a, a lot of franchise, a lot of series films. Um, of, and Ocean's ones. Eleven did not release in this country until early in 2002. No. Um, yeah, basically the film that lost Lennox Lewis's world title, briefly. Oh, did it? Well, yeah, because he went to Las Vegas to film like his role in that film, and arrived oh. in South Africa too late, a little bit overweight, not not sort of properly acclimatized, and no. got out. Um, when he had his shit together later in the year, he, he won it back quite easily. But yeah, the Ocean's Eleven was. Thing. But yeah, there was there was a huge amount of hype around this film, and my my memories of first watching it are first off thinking how nice it looked. Uh, even from the opening sequences, even the sort of space sequences that open the film, I thought looked pretty good. Mark Wahlberg, I, I felt this a bit less this time when I watched it, but Mark Wahlberg looking like he needed to fart all the way through. <laughs> I really was, God, this man cannot. I mean, I, I probably felt this way about him all the way through to like The Departed or something, where I was oh, like. Gosh. Yeah, this, he, does, like, he this, does have that same look to him, doesn't he? He doesn't. Have, up until then, I just couldn't see anything of him it's, like on is screen. It like... Is it like that meme that that goes around in the happening where he just sort of does that kind of yeah. confused face? What? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It it just it just always looks vaguely concerned, but the the emotion, if you want to call it that, of being concerned, is something that someone has explained to him rather than he knows what it feels like. So he sort of furrows his brow and looks a bit confused and like something smells bad, leaves his mouth open a bit. I, ju- I just... I, his I his was, nostrils flare up a little bit. I was baffled yeah. that with the end result, I was baffled he was cast because my first thought was, this is not a leading man. Whether I feel that way about him these days, 
we can talk about that in other series, maybe. But at this point, anything semi-serious, I just thought he can't really do. And then I remember the sort of other human cast around him. The first thing I thought when I saw um, Chris Christopherson was he's basically playing Whistler again. Um, Pouty McBotox, what's she called? Estella oh, Warren. Estella Warren. And I just we've never seen her again. What did you call her? Pouty McBotox. Because her top lip looks really odd. <laughs> She does look like she's got a bit of a power blusser. But uh, none of them <clears throat> for me had any sort of screen presence. That's all. I, and I won't call her that again. But, you know, that's one that's <laughs> at the start. But I, I won't say that. <laughs> but he was. I, I just wasn't impressed by anybody. I, I liked the design of the sort of ape town. I like, you know, them sort of beat the kids beating their chest when they're told off and things like that. I thought the makeup was incredible. I thought. It plays better on a small screen because the one flaw in that was Thade, because Thade's got like a slightly pinched like brow, like he's like he's angry, but because it doesn't move, it, it kind of looks in a soul kind of expression all the way through. But that doesn't play as bad on the small screen. And then we got to like halfway through the film, and suddenly they're sort of fighting back, and I had no interest in any of them, and. And then we have the sort of end of the film, which we'll talk about when we get there, that just left everyone scratching their head when they left. And it was just a kind of a whole lot of so what? And and when you look at it, $100 million film, that's fairly significant for nearly 20 years ago. And I just think everybody must have been somewhat disappointed by this. What did you guys think? Including the audience. <laughs> yeah, I think we were all pretty much the same. We were like, what the... <laughs> What do you think, Becca? Oh gosh, um, yeah, I think my memories of going to see this at the cinema were probably. I was thinking, do I remember seeing this? I don't know. Um, I seem to be remember to go and see um, Alan Cumber Spider. I just quickly googled like films two thousand and one, so and I was I was a big fan of of um, the Alex Cross novels. Um, and I thought, oh yeah, we're going to see this um, by a little known director named Lee Tamahori. Um, it's probably like one of the worst films I've ever seen. Um, so I think I'm being more disappointed at that rather than seeing well, I know rather than this one. Um, yeah, I probably went to go see the cinema. I think obviously it was you know really really busy, and I think most of us were all kind of scratching our heads at the end, thinking, "What?" <laughs> um, and so I literally hadn't seen it since, and then I've seen it a couple of times for this review, and um, we kept kind of stopping and starting, um, and finally managed to get everybody together. <laughs> That's the way how it goes generally this time of year, around Christmas time, it's quite difficult to get everyone all together, but we did it, and it was our 200th show, so we're going to do it. Um, and yeah, I saw this film a couple of times, and it took me a couple of goes. Um, but uh, there are two things that stand out to me, um, well, three things. One, HPC. Um, and Tim Roth, amazing eye acting, and they managed to emote through the many layers of makeup. Um, and also Rick Baker's obviously makeup special effects. You know he's basically a god, so utterly fantastic. Um, and the costumes as well. Um, so those for me are kind of like the main high points of this film. Um, the other kind of plot's quite messy. Um, is the script is oh I just, I, I can't <laughs> I can't even with this film. That's a 2020 way of summing it up. Um, yeah, but for me, it does, it does kind of stand out in this sort of Tim Burton body of work as something perhaps kind of a little bit 
more left field than, than what we usually expect from him. Um, and as you say, David was very much him trying to do the blockbuster. Um, doesn't quite work, unfortunately. It kind of falls flat. Um, but in terms of the scale, it's incredible. And obviously the makeup and, and costumes, incredible. Um, and so that's kind of like really, that's my two takeaways from the song, really. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> that's probably what I'll say at the end. It's just like, oh, I can't even... I yeah. don't blame Becca. Actually, worse than the series. Final thoughts, Becca. Still shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. I mean, too. I mean, I think I always get the feeling that the early two thousands particularly was kind of shit for movies. Uh, I mean, Lord of the Rings aside, um, you know, gem- generally speaking, you can't really remember the, you know, in terms of like major blockbusters. I mean, you got in- a few indie hits that are, that are really good, and you might have the the odd one. But when you look back at it, it was, it was just kind of all fairly, fairly poor most of the time. I don't know if that's fair or not, but I, I, I don't know. Everything just seemed a bit, so what? Um, but it seems to be like it was a starting point for a lot of all like the sequels and remakes and and this you know big series that we kind of obviously that we know enough today. Yeah, it was kind of it started off all that basically. So I wonder if that was why, because it was because it was mainly kind of adaptations or or remakes or reimaginings. Things I like think that. my memory is actually plenty of big films being released, but like even good performing franchises having their weakest entries around here. So like the year before this, you got Mission Impossible 2. Um, the year after this, you've got Attack of the Clones. You know, films that everyone was keen to see and mm. looking forward to. And then th- that was disappointing. This was really looked forward to and it didn't really work. Um, you know, they adapted a couple of Tomb Raider films around that period, and they were both awful. Um, Spider-Man, though. Spy- no, I'll give you Spider-Man. Spider-Man? I mean, whatever my thoughts on it, I mean, the Spider-Man 1 and 2 were both well thought of at the time, so yeah, absolutely. But um, I think it would be unfair to say, you know, from 2000 to 2005 were five or six years of shit mm-hmm. films. I don't think we're saying that. I think that you get an impression of an era, like people think, 1999 was a great year for film and things like that and i think mm. chris is probably right that the early 2000s don't don't stick out as a great no, they don't era, really add up, do they really? performing films yeah i, I forget the following year we had died another day i think so was probably around their peak but yeah i, I, think, yeah, I think so and obviously um oh god ghibli with um, spirited away had had that oscar winning film this oh yeah year. yeah yeah um but i on, think chris, it was sorry I think it was mostly just, you know, in terms of the mainstream. I think there's always plenty of more independent uh, films that, that, that were always worth a watch. Um, but in terms of, like, the, the main sort of, like, mm. big hits, they just don't seem to either last in the memory or were just disappoint, really disappointing at the time. And, and it was the left-field stuff that stood out in this sort of period. You know, you, you go in and see this little film, Eternal Sunshine of yeah. the Spotless Mind, and it's quite good. Tim Burton produced Big Fish in 2003, which was really good. Yeah, yeah that was uh, a good film. Cinematographer but, for this film. Born Identity 2002. That came out of nowhere. So, But it came out of nowhere, yeah. Yeah, and literally and changed the genre. Um, you know, the, te- uh, the cinematographer for this film, he did one other film this year, it was The Tailor of Panama. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, that was, good. That was a good film. Was a, that was a good adaptation. Yeah, so uh, postponed yeah. Brosnan. But I, I the do Matrix remember sequels. I think it's probably key to that all that as well. I do. Oh remember yeah, that's true. Where I was living at the time, it was even though it was like Birmingham because of the way Birmingham is and how big it is. You know, you go to the cinema in the same city, but you're driving for fucking ever to get there, that, that sort of thing. And I just remember like 
planning these nights out and going in to see films that were a bit of a letdown. Um, yeah, you come all that way. You need to be. I need to be crushed. I mean, even even Fellowship, which I like. I mean, Fe- Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, that that film did not sing for me until I'd seen the next couple of parts as well. I didn't really get Lord of the Rings until I saw the third one. And then I was suddenly like, right, that's completely transformed a lot of them for me. And now I think probably Fellowship is the strongest. But at the time, I went and watched like an incomplete story that I thought was okay. You know, so... I think it's one of those films where it kind of, even though the the length and the sheer scale of it is overwhelming, it kind of, it takes a couple of goes. You know, I think I I remember going to multiple marathons um, upon release and it, it did kind of, you know, it comes in waves, it kind of... It takes a couple of days to get into it and obviously reading the books and everything as well. Um, you have to kind of totally immerse yourself in the experience. The Fast and the Furious came out this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking uh, of which. But, yeah, that, that only took five entries to get half decent. <laughs> to get into um, its stride. But, like, smaller films as well, like Memento was around this time. That was a brilliant film. Um, so, yeah, plenty of good films, but I, we're just talking about those films where you're excited to go and see them and you, you couldn't count the born identity in that because there was no anticipation it was just oh matt damon go and have a look at that oh it's really good mm. um I, I think yeah i think fellowship was the, was the biggest in terms of hype um, yes i'd go along me. with that you, you um, had, the te- for... had a teaser didn't you charlie uh, in the summer you you it was just them walking sort of across a mountain together wasn't it in sort of slow motion yeah and then, but i think what 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 made me that was is um, I went to see Harry Potter whenever that came out, which I think was like summer or something. And it had the last trailer for, for Fellowship before it. And it kind of, the, fil- the film was a disappointment compared to the trailer. Right. I kept thinking about the, f- the Lord of the Rings throughout watching Harry Potter after seeing that trailer. So I was excited for it before, but I was hesitant because it's Lord of the Rings, and it was always kind of this mythical, impossible book to uh, to adapt. Yeah, well, we could have had like John Lennon as Gollum, couldn't we? Well, this well, yeah, is exactly. it. <laughs> when we, we a group of us went to see it, and we were all just kind of blown away. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm just looking when the film came out. Hang on, Christmas uh... 2001. I thought it was later in the year, yeah. Um, Lord the, of the Rings, sorry. No, Harry Potter was the same. Harry Potter was November. Yeah, it was usually around sort of like winter, sort of Christmas. Yeah. And after the first couple, they went to like every 18 months. So Prisoner of Azkaban is like May or something, 2004. But yeah. Okay, so was, what about... Wasn't there some kind of rule? It probably wasn't around this time. It was probably a lot before. But that, I, cause I seem to remember like for a while, like for example, at the, at the Oscars, there was a kind of almost like a ban on where like if you, if the film was part of like a series or like a franchise then or like oscars you know you basically you, you weren't eligible for any awards um but then obviously that that was kind of changed i don't know if it was around this sort of time or if it was before it was for the music yeah. because, because the two towers was ineligible that was it i knew there was some controversy but it was literally for that one year okay so you think if it hadn't been, he probably would have won for that entire trilogy because he won for yeah. fellowship and he won for return of the king no, this is it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, sure were, I'm pretty sure there was some controversy surrounding that, but I couldn't remember my film history. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, that's all right. And remember, The Godfather Two won Best Picture as well, so it's it's mm. never it's never been a, a blanket rule. But yeah, I mean, there's it depends what you mean by sequels. If you're talking about you know proper franchise filmmaking, 
I think you'd be hard pressed to find like a fourth Rocky film win, no matter how good it was. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Even if it had been as good as the first one, but mm-hmm. yeah, there you go. Um, so Charlie, your memories of this and thoughts on it when you first saw it and so on? Oh, it was crap. And it still is. <laughs> That's going in the trailer. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's apart from Batman, which was kind of much more his sensibilities anyway. I think this was the first film for Tim Burton where he felt like a, he felt like he was hired. Yeah. Instead of someone who had been on, because I remember re- reading so many times about. I think at one point Schwarzenegger was going to be in it, and all sorts of people were going to direct it. And just it was all, all this talk constantly of there's going to be a new Planet of the Apes, there's going to be a new Planet of the Apes. And by the time it got to it, it's like what Mark Wahlberg and Tim Burton. And aside from the uh, yeah the kind of ape city stuff, there's like there's weird kind of idiosyncrasies throughout the whole film um, that kind of feel like Tim Burton, but there's so much that doesn't as well. And it just it feels so impersonal. Well, it's funny when you talk about the Ape City, because when I watched it the first time this time, because I've watched it twice prepping for this, over the second time I was barely paying attention. But it, it strikes me as almost like Lothlorien without the lighting. Yeah. So, and then yeah. All the, all the kind of gangs and stuff and the kids playing instruments and mm. the tearaways and uh, it just... it. it Tonally, it's so weird. It's like timber. It's it's like almost like, okay, this is what I've got to put somewhere of my personality in here. So this is where I'm going to put it. So that's why tonally, it's just so so strange. Um, and yeah, there's, putting... a, there's kind of like not a sex scene, but there's like hijinks in the bedroom at one stage, and you're like, that's not like the tone of any of the rest of the film. No, <laughs> exactly. Um, it, it's really strange. And, and the ending, I have. I think we've all read theories on it, so we will have conversation to be had. Yeah, but there was that graphic, didn't we? That, that it, I'll see if I can find it. Somebody sent me, and there's kind of like a timeline, and it doesn't make any it, sense. It, it, it doesn't work, and the reason it doesn't work is the statue. But we'll come to it. Yeah, because it just does not work. But we'll it, come it to just it. it just feels like they just thought, okay, you know, the original Planet of the Apes had this big ending with the Statue of Liberty. We have to do something like that. Yeah, it's not and uh, and and they just kind of came up with something instead of having. I mean, all of it doesn't really. None of it feels any kind of coherence or. And why is it in these films? It's the same with Star Trek: The Motion Picture. No one ever rubs the dust off anything, do they? There's, <laughs> no. about, there's about five letters visible, and they go, "Well, that's good enough for me." <laughs> that's legible. <laughs> that's legible. That's legible, folks. <laughs> yeah. It's like when you see. It's like when you see that. I mean, there's that meme with like that couple, and it's like they're wearing uh, t-shirts, and it's uh, keep calm and try an ale, but because the woman <laughs> is stood at a strange yeah. angle, it's try anal, and it's like <laughs> it's like anyone. This these films are populated by people who would see that meme and go, "Why is she wearing a t-shirt with asking you to try anal on it?" You know what I mean? So yeah, it. Uh, but yeah, we'll get to all of it. Um, Chris, have you done with your final thought, uh, first thoughts? Final uh, thoughts. Final thoughts. But um, let's get let's to the go. end. Why not? Uh, no, no, I, I haven't. I mean, I'll, I'll, yeah, my my thought feelings are, are fairly be. So I, as I said before, um, I saw this in the cinema, and my memory of it um, is 
vague to say say the best. Um, it's you know I, I, I can't really remember much about it other than just being a bit blur. And then so uh, I watched it, uh, which probably was like a week or so ago now. And uh, I remember even midway through thinking. Ah, oh, this is why I don't remember anything about it. It's just really fucking dull and really. I like. I I I knew that I I knew from the moment the movie ended, I'd probably forgotten half of it because there's just something about it which just it it's just so uninspired. Like all, all the good stuff is all like in in the design and in the, in the costumes and and some of the ideas are, are, are nice in terms of how it looks, but there's just so much thought put in you can sort of feel like it's just your studio interference about like what oh the, the apes have to do this all oh, would be a good idea if the if you had this sort of look and and that kind of look and you had tim burton who is a director who i think you know, he's, he's even said you know he, he, his heart wasn't in it he just found it kind of start started something which he just got the budget just got bigger bigger and bigger and bigger and he didn't know really how to deal with it with uh mark Wahlberg, who you know i like mark Wahlberg. I like Marky Mark. Um, this is probably he was really miscasting this though. Uh, I think he, Mark Wahlberg was probably better off doing more comedic, maybe sort of action type sort of roles. Here, when he just... you look at when you look at something like Ted, whether you love or hate that film, he's fucking perfect for it. Yeah, because he's, yeah. he's he's good at being a trashy mouth and and yeah. and, and saying things. You know, right, and, the Departed, and he... it's just all bad language. But he's it's like sending up his sort of tough guy image as well, isn't he? He's kind of known, obviously, apart from being Marky Mark, he's kind of trying to cult, you know cultivate a more sort of like tough guy or doing serious roles. But this just totally sends him up in that kind of role. And yeah, he's known for kind of like sort of being, you know, rough around the edges and and mm. you know just basically swearing every other word. So, <laughs> but it's like I, I just looked at him and thought, y- you miscast. You, you know, you, you don't. This is not. I mean, especially at this time when he's still young as well. Yeah, it's that's, just like that's another point. He's what twenty eight, twenty nine at this point, probably. It, it just yeah. like it just it just doesn't work, and it, it also what doesn't doesn't help that he's he's not really given anything to do with him just reacting to stuff. And it's I, I, I just I, tend to think if you think about the casting of the first film, I'm not the biggest Charlton Heston mm. fan, but he was a little older. He was in his forties. And I just look at it and I go, right, this is meant to be a scientist, some with a bit of seasoning on him. I'm just thinking, like, if you were to watch, like, A Perfect Storm the previous year, it's like they've picked the wrong one. Do you know what I mean? Like, Clooney would have been more better suited to something like this. Yeah. Um, and the reason that sticks in my mind is he made Solaris the next year. So I can sort of almost picture him in, like, the space uniform and things like that on a space station. But. I'm not saying that like this film should have had George Clooney in it, but it's just as my <laughs> as my mind pings around for people who were quite big in this era, I'm thinking, well, that's at least more the age profile you would want. Yeah, still young, but not that young. But yeah, I don't know. Okay, shall we discuss this film sequentially, folks? If we must. If we can remember. I, uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I am baffled by the start of this. Um, uh, it was on the second watching I realised that this whole business of they are apes, they are meant to go out and sort of test the um, you know, they're the canary down the mine hmm. we, we send them down check, they can do a few very basic things we check it safe, we can go which, uh, all, all I could think of watching it the first time this time I mean 
they send out they, they, he's trying to train this ape to do stuff and all I could think of was Carl Pilkington <laughs> hit the left button <laughs> and there's a banana dispenser have you ever heard that from the Carl Pilkington stuff with Ricky Gervais no but I can picture it it, it, he's just basically one of his monkey news was about like a depressed ape who couldn't get over never going to space again <laughs> and they, he was trying to describe this and because he knows nothing about anything he's just filling in details with whatever sounds right and and the way he was telling it this ship had like a banana dispenser if you hit the right button <laughs> So it's this ape piloting a spaceship, which is not what apes were sent up to do, or a dog. It was it was the canary in the cage, um, and I think that sort of this film fell down the middle of those two things. Is this meant to be like a trained ape who can do everything, or not? And they they're letting Leo Mark Wahlberg's character get really close to this ape, like it's a pet. And then he loses his shit when this thing goes into like an ion storm or whatever. And it's like, that is exactly what the ape is there to do. Well, that's that was it. That was one of my first thoughts. And I don't know if I've, I've missed something here is the fact that, they, you know, they've got. So is Mark Wahlberg like a regular astronaut who's got attached to them? Because it seemed like it's his job to train them. Yeah. So they've sent someone who is attached and is there to train them. To you know, to send them up to you know, basically be a canary because you know, they are expendable, and then he, and you know, so he, he's agreed to go on this mission, which could potentially where this could potentially happen, and then when moment when one ape goes, it is like oh sorry, sorry, not 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 worth it. He goes right, okay, well I'm going after it. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, but but you you signed off on this job. Like you know, if 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 you felt that strongly about it, you would not agree to do this. And I just like that that was instantly just in my head. Like you know, is it? I, I thought, am I missing something here, or am I? Or was the film just being really stupid with its character? <laughs> it concerned it, it when I don't want to make too much of it, but it concerned me on the first viewing because I, I'm watching it and I'm going, okay, Mark, Marky Mark looks like he needs to fart, so I'm not sure he's a leading man. And the first plot point is idiotic. And I just thought, I wouldn't say the film lost me. That would be a massive exaggeration. But it was immediately like, I'm not sure about this already, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it just, it just strikes a bit strange, doesn't it? And just, yeah, everything about this it just seems like a bit off. Um, and you just think, really, you know, if they, if, they made, if they were to remake it today, they probably wouldn't make a lot of those creative decisions. I don't know. I really don't. Um, anyway, so um, yeah, <laughs> and when they go and have like a serious chat about him saying, "I'm going to go in and get my ape," I'm thinking it's not your ape. <laughs> yeah, not your. Uh, okay. Where do we want to go from there? Straight into the ion storm or what? Well, yeah. So he he, he pretty much like you know endangers himself and the rest of the crew, <laughs> and he does because he's the hero. I well, that's what happens not. when you like hire a porn star. Well, yeah, when you're watching Mark. Dirt Diggler. I always, I always find as well in these in these films, the like when they've got things that are that, are, that have given names or stuff for scientific purposes or whatever, there are sources something really pretentious. It's like his name's Pericles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you don't get like 
think Dave. of like horse racing. They don't they don't call the horses something because they once read the Iliad. <laughs> do, you, do you know yeah, what exactly. I mean? It's like it's always someone that's had yeah, that's had really kind of some mythic status instead of yeah, like Simon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the problem is now is like you know if you know if if you start to sort of like uh, make, give them those names, it, it will just sound ridiculous. It's like you know, yeah, Paul. You could do that now, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. I mean, we're we're kind of cool with it when they call back to the original series with Caesar and stuff like that. I suppose that's not much better than Pericles on the page, but this is kind of. This is just kind of like we say, the canary down the mine, mm. and I, I, I don't understand why they would let an astronaut who's a paid employee say, "I'm, I'm, I'm in after," you know, he, he would be immediately fucking like restrained and possibly sedated if he suggested and, we're not just going to lose that craft, we're going to fucking lose this one. I'm going to jump in as well. One, one of the, one of the things that I've. Um... I honestly thought was just how easy it was just to sort of jump in and just take it, you know. I was like, I'm, I'm sure there's some sort of like, you know, command base to release the the pod first. You you can't just like jump in and press right eject. I'm going I'm going off like you like hopping in a car. I'm yeah, pretty it's, sh- it, it, it's not like Waylon and Bond jumping on the fucking like motorcycle, is it? And going, well, this <laughs> one will do. <laughs> yeah. you, do, you, do. You know what I mean? Like, I would have thought like there'll be some sort of like, you know, like. The, from the command station, yeah, they they'd have to have, like some authorization or like, or you know, do you know something or some release mechanism, to, you know, just for safety, if anything, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah there's just no thought of that whatsoever. It's like what? Yeah, because you'd expect something like I've seen in like past films and stuff where someone's tried to do that and they've at least had to blow blow a, a hole in the ship or something so they yeah. can fry out. Yeah, this is this is just. You know, they, they, they've got no central override or anything. Yeah. So he goes in to get his ape. Right? <laughs> Gotta and... get my ape. Yeah. It's a transformer. Um... <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> it. It's a transformer. <laughs> what? No. So he goes, he, goes, <laughs> he goes straight into this storm, comes out the other side, and crash lands on a planet. And my first thing about the budget of this film is. It looks really lush. It looks really expensive, and then it doesn't. It, it reminded me of two other films. It reminded me of the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where they banged on about having all these practical effects, and then a lot of the stuff in the forest or jungle or yeah, it was jungle, wasn't it? Was like on a soundstage, and um, it reminded me of the Christopher Lambert Tarzan film, uh, Greystoke, from about 1983. If anyone listening's not. Um, seen it it's actually the one tarzan film that more or less is the original book by edgar rice burroughs but i remembered loving it when i was a kid and i watched it again about 15 years ago so well into adulthood and i put it on and it just looked really soundstagey i I was stunned i I couldn't believe it anything in africa it it did all look like men in suits and a soundstage with a few like trees put in there and this is really strange, this film. There's parts where it looks really lush and expensive and locationy and full of like expensive map paintings, be they practical or digital. And then there's other shots in it where they just look like they're walking through a garden centre with a, with, a, with a few bags of mud sort of spilled out on the floor. Yeah, it looks very setty, doesn't it? It's very... Yeah. Clear. 
But yeah, kind of, it looks very much like you're watching a film. It does kind of look very constructed, very contrived. Yeah. So he's now in the year 5021. That's very far. Obviously, it's very far in the future, but I think when it's kind of set that far in the future, it does get a little bit, well, a lot far-fetched. Well, yeah. Sorry, I just find it completely ridiculous. Apologies. <laughs> yeah. I've, d- I've actually just posted the, the Carl Pilkington Monkey News on our, on our social media feeds. Oh, brilliant. I'll have a look. And the response from Not Perfected Yet John is, Oh, chimpanzee, that! <laughs> <laughs> just, the best, the best one for anyone listening while we're on the subject is, uh, go and find the Monkey News where it's a Russian chat show. Ooh. It's the best one of the lot. He's trying to tell this story about a monkey filling in on a chat show in Russia and interviewing Cher. It's brilliant. Anyway... Um, yeah, so, I mean, at least uh, the one thing I will say is it's underway quite quickly. It it isn't very long till he's bumping into the sort of primitive humans and it's Estella Warren and... Yeah, you haven't got, like, in the original where he's, like, walking around for ages. Look, a plant! (laughs) It's it's literally just, like, he sort of walks around, bangs into some humans and and gets, like... Cut by you. There's not even any skinny dipping. No. <laughs> With well placed plants. Yeah. Uh, and then what? Don't they get pretty much attacked by like apes straight away? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, set upon almost instantaneously. Yeah. The the uh, ruthless attention to detail we've all displayed so far is about to fade because the film after this just becomes a bit of a mess, really. Well, it's, it's pretty much set up like the original, isn't it? Where they're yeah. going through the uh, all the, the grass and stuff, and yeah, yeah, and they're attacked by Fade, Tim Roth's character, who I didn't like on first viewing, but on the small screen he plays quite well. Very primal character, literally. Um, and Michael Clark Duncan, who mm. I must admit I still miss. He died. Yeah, he's a real powerhouse and acting. I just had you know so many memorable roles, and it's just it's a shame. Such a shame. Didn't make it to a great age either, Michael Clark Duncan. I'm just going to look it up. I'm sure he was in his early 50s. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, he wasn't very old, was he? 54 he was. That's no age. That's no age. um, Yeah, and it was completely unexpected. He he went and had, like, I think he went and had sort of surgery or something. No, he just had a heart attack. Just out of. Yeah, it was so sudden. Yeah, so, um, you know, perfectly cast for what they want him to do. There's at least some sort of carry over from the first film that the the enforcer is a gorilla yeah i wonder if there's a bit of sort of pigeonholing in that respect because obviously it is it follows the same sort of setup as, as the previous films where like certain this is where i don't know my words um like species um fulfill certain roles so it's the it's obviously the same sort of you know setup in society um but, but i wonder the pro- if there's a bit of like pigeonholing you know <laughs> yeah, possibly the problem we've got here though is that for me They've gone, here's some humans. They look a bit like Mark Wahlberg. He'll hang around with them. And then they're attacked immediately. And you're like, we don't know anything about these people. Chris Christopherson has at least some sort of screen presence. And we probably know him from other things. And he was in the Blade series around this time, looking very similar to this, both from age and the way they sort of did hair and things like that. Basically, grizzled man. That's what they grizzled, yeah, grizzled, grizzled man man who's just been fighting just too damn long. Yeah. Which is exactly (laughs) what Whistler was. 
Yeah, although Whist Whistler was that with a hint of like Q. So, so that's true. Yeah. yeah. So I will do the Blade series one day. Well, I say that Blade Trinity, fucking hell. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, what? Where do we go from here? Are they immediately imprisoned? Yeah, pretty much. They were. Um, well, they they were all kind of like captured, captured by um, Fade and all and. All, not them lot, and they're basically sort of sold by um, uh, oh, what's his name? Paul Giamatti. That's the one. Yeah. I totally uh, forgot he was in it. I, I, to be honest, I had to know he was in it before watching it again and pick, picking out which one he was. Um, he, he's the one that looks like Paul Giamatti. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 they, didn't, they didn't really kind of keep any of the uh, the, the class systems, did they? Because you've got the chimpanzee leading the army. Yeah, yeah. whereas in the, the whereas first films, they were, they were more of... sort of science. Yeah, sort of, yeah. Uh, um, the orangutans were more like faith. There's, like, there's yeah. one orangutan. Yeah, so that tells you this film has no real vision. Or it's at least somewhat evidence of that, I would yeah. say. Um, and a, yeah, so they're basically, what, sold? So... That's the sort of social comment of the film that you know the mixture of sort of slavery and domestic pets that humans mm. represent. The sort of they all look the same kind of like nudge nudge, you know, social comment. Um, and children are sort of bought child apes are bought child humans as pets yeah. and things like that. And um, uh, what's she called? Um, Ari Helena Bonacarta. She's kind of the one sort of progressive voice there who doesn't believe it's fair to treat them this way and kind of gets them sold to sort of David Warner instead, who's a senator, Sandar. Yeah, because that's, um, that's, his fa that's her father, isn't it? Yes, yes. And he, he's very sort of anti-human, He, but he's not going to be cruel in the same way, I'm assuming, as the thinking. Yeah. Um, uh, but they, but he escapes. We're, we're whipping through this. <laughs> he escapes with all the other plot devices, <laughs> and they go to oh, fucking Kalima, <laughs> right? The what is it? The temple, right? It's a holy site, which is basically an obscured sign which reads "Caution: Live Animals." No one has thought to rub a cloth over this. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we 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 are struggling. We're struggling because there's hardly any more plot. It just becomes like the fight back. Well, and it turns out they 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 escape. We have like you know like various sort of scenes in. Around the dinner table, and they they you know, they try and break out the um, the the eight village. Um, uh, Whistler gets caught, and sacrifices himself. While they get away, um, uh, yeah. I don't I don't I don't really know because I don't yeah there isn't really much plot other than just um, there isn't it just becomes like one big fight back now it turns out. That their holy site is the wreck of the Oberon, which is the ship, the big sort of command ship. I mean, that's just jumped straight to the fucking end, pretty much, isn't it? 
Um, it is. This is going back to the stupid names thing because of the, the name of the ape who fought back and organized the Muti, Simos. Yeah. AKA Moses. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, which is just lazy shit. Lazy really. writing. Lazy writing. It's. So this is so he now thinks right I was pushed forward in time and the Oberon was not mm. and that never gets explained but when we do get to the end it does actually make it makes sense when they go to this planet it doesn't make sense when they go back to Earth but anyway anyway so uh, yeah this is just basically the human and the humans basically uh, the apes on board formed the society and again like evolved in record time and they're just the descendants of the sort of the apes and humans are the, the people on this planet mm. good this isn't it <laughs> uh, <laughs> but i honestly we are struggling because where do you go from here not much else happens well, Don't we um, go straight into Act 3 about 20, 28 minutes into this film or something? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so you have um, uh, Fade, who uh, is pissed off and is... But, uh, still most of the film pissed off, pretty much, really. He's basically... Um... Uh, uh, um... Oh God, I can't, I, my my memory is 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 fading. It's fading of the original films. That's what this film's done to me. Um, uh, is it what, what's the name of the uh, chimpanzee in the in the first one? Uh, I want to say Amadeus, you... but it's not. Amadeus. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you know, I remember that Simpsons thing. Amadeus. Amadeus, Amadeus. Amadeus. <laughs> the, chi- the, the chimp in the first one. Yeah, the uh, the orangutan. Sorry, the. That Zayas. Doctor Zayas. Doctor Zayas. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> not. Uh, <laughs> no, no. I wanted it's to say Abadeus because of the song, but I know it's not. Um, yeah. So he kind He's of like he kind of fits that kind of mold of like dis- discovering something, but kind of wanted to keep it secret so we could get you know because basically he just wants to you know get Marky Mark and and the and the, and, <laughs> and the wild bunch. Um, Marky Mark and the Wild Bunch. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see that film. I, I can think of set pieces in that film being led by Marky Mark and his like Calvin Klein stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but what, whenever they find these ships, there's always like a computer that's like powered by something inexhaustible. So. It'll crash there, and five thousand years later, they just sort of flip it on. Mm. And you think they can flip on a computer and have it work permanently, but they can't wipe a damp cloth over the fucking name of it. <laughs> so the, the Oberon crashed, searching for him. Yeah. So basically, he's got the rest of the crew killed. Yeah. <laughs> but he had to get his eight back, Chris. <laughs> fucking diving down a mine because the fucking canary's <laughs> gone down there. Though to be fair, you, you know. If, you, you probably would have just like sod it. <laughs> yeah. If he wants to go after his ape, we can go after his well, ape. We, we are straight into the final act of this film because basically the apes arrive and basically they all have a fight, mm-hmm. which is brilliant because like you know they're all knocked out and then they're getting up again. This is just the laziest action I've ever seen. And I'd, I'd have a whiskey drink and a vodka drink. Chris Chris Christopherson fucking got like killed at some point, but don't really matter. And. Uh, while they're fighting, um, 
a, a vehicle apply, a, arrives from the sky and it's Pericles, the chimp astronaut. <laughs> so, all right, whatever. And yeah, the, so, the, so the god, so the, the apparent god has returned and everyone sort of stands and all. Yeah. And then, like, hostilities suddenly cease. Mm hmm. Apart from Fade, who you know decides to keep fighting Marky Mark and um, and the Funky Bunch, yeah, and um, and uh, yeah, and apparently lasers bounce as well. Lasers do bounce, yes. That's why uh, Sean Connery got his eye taken out in Goldfinger; it just bounced off his bollocks, right? (laughs) Just (laughs) no, Mister Bond. I expect you. Oh shit, that's bounce. Sorry. Uh... No, Bond. I expect you to be blind. <laughs> All right then. So then we've got the final fight between Fade and Leo, which Pericles tries to help. It's just like I don't know. It's like suddenly it's turned into fucking Scooby Doo or something. All right. Okay. So Fade gets like shot behind a sort of automatic door. Yeah. Fires the thing repeatedly, and you get the bouncing lasers, yeah. And then Leo's like, that's it, I'm off. There's kind of like... (laughs) Estella Warren's been put there as, like, the love interest, effectively. And I haven't even mentioned the character's name. She makes no impression at all. They have no chemistry at all. And basically you kind of think he might stay for something interspecies with Ari. There, yeah, because Ari's there giving him... Ari's giving him, like, flirtatious looks, like, throughout the entire film. Yeah. Uh, so, they all have a bit of a kiss. No, no hand jobs or anything. And he gets back inside Pericles' undamaged pod, so that was handy. And flies back through the electromagnetic storm. I just feel like by the time we went into this film sequentially, there was nothing there, was there? We've yeah. literally just whipped through it. He lands in what looks like modern day Washington. In his own time, we're assuming. And then he looks up to see the Lincoln Memorial and it's fade. Mm. And then police and everything else and news reporters descend and they're all apes. Now... Credits. What did you think? Did you even think what this meant at the time, or did you just think this film's just trying to give us something? I a bit had out no the... idea. I was like, um, "What's going yeah. on then?" Did you, Charlie? Have you? Did you have an explanation for this? No, no. Um, it was funny because I, I don't even remember the time, but um, <clears throat> around the same time, Kevin Smith was doing a, a comic based on Clerks. Yeah, um, and in one of those comics, it had a illustration, just a random illustration, and I think it was like inside the cover of the Lincoln Memorial with an ape head. Yeah, and um, loads of apes around it, and there was kind of a controversy that people thinking that Tim Burton had stolen that from the comic for the end of this film. Because it has no relevancy whatsoever to 
the actual film. Yeah, he was it interviewed just... about it, wasn't he, Kevin Smith? And he said, yeah. um, he said jokingly, I'm considering legal action. And he said he immediately got like lawyer's letters from Tim Burton's like agent who was called Bumble Ward. I always remember that. And um, I'm going to find that and stick it on our Facebook page as well, because he tells the story in one of his live shows. And it's really funny. But um, yeah, we'll find that. But um, all right, let me just find that a minute. Yeah, I found it. So I'm going to stick that on our page in a minute. But um, Mm. the theory I read recently is that time travels in the opposite directions on either side of the storm. So Pericles goes in first, which means he's going to land last. Uh, Leo goes in in the middle, so he's going to land in the middle. And finally, the Oberon goes in, tries, tries to get them both, which... In that's as that is as questionable as a decision as anything Leo does because that it reminded me of that sort of command ship from the Phantom Menace a little bit. There's presumably quite a lot of people and beings on that thing. They go in afterwards, which means technically they they and time behaves a bit unpredictably. So it goes in last, it lands first, but it it could be like hundreds, if not thousands, of years, depends on how the storm disrupts it. So that's why that happened. When they leave, the theory is Leo leaves, and at some point after, the ape society go chasing in after him, probably Thade. Okay, well, definitely Thade goes in after him, which means Thade will land back on Earth earlier and therefore could create a society. But that doesn't really make sense. How? how would how, how would he suddenly be like Lincoln effectively? Uh, yeah, and how? And you would think to create a society where apes are in the ascendancy, you'd probably have to learn, land a bit earlier than the 1860s. If they've landed back in Earth's prehistory, fair enough. But if he's landed in an era such that all the fashions and everything suggest that that statue is from the time of that would be Abraham Lincoln in our time. Mm. That's that's apes getting complete ascendancy within 150 years and being celebrated for it. And Washington being built identically. How did he fly the spaceship? Yeah, I uh... How did he get the spaceship? I, I... like the, the, my only thought and it is only a thought because I, you know, because quite frankly, I don't think even like the writers even have an answer. Um, is what watching it now? I thought that rather than like return back to Earth, he's just gone. He's just gone back to the same place he was, but years later. So since then, society has moved on. So that's where you know, they, they just happened to start wearing more Earth-recognized clothes. You know, like. like clothing and and resembles earth in some sort of weird parallel way uh you could say it's like a parallel universe kind of thing rather than a different planet um and that's kind of thing and like and and fade with probably took over like access of the the spaceship technology is like the the ruler of that that said planet uh, as you know and that's why he's got like the lincoln memorial and things like that that's my thought um don't know if that's 
any better, to be honest with you. I mean, is anyone's I, guess, really. I, I really thought, I mean, there's at least some sense to what we've both said. But I do tend to go with the sort of Charlie idea that mm. they're trying to just outdo 1968. Or at least have something that, if the film is that successful and really loved, becomes iconic in the same way. Can't remember when he came back to the Washington Monument and it was an ape. You know what I mean? Mm. Which um, I did like but... its weird reverse thing, didn't they? Um, which I, it, it is one of those weird things because I, you know, I think watching it, were you expecting to do the, you know, the the whole it was Earth all along, you know, uh, reveal? Yeah, and it is that that is one thing that they've at least put some originality in because. It isn't Earth. The planet that they're on for the majority of the film is not Earth. Um, but I don't know that that makes it any better. I really don't. I, I, I was just so confused by this. And it was one of those things that I walked out and, and you can't always predict what's going to be popular. I've, I've gone to see films I didn't particularly enjoy and the public loved. You know, and, and vice versa. I've gone in like championed films that like were almost dead on arrival. So I couldn't, I, I very rarely come out of a film unless it's an absolutely incoherent mess and think, oh, there's no chance this film's going to do anything, you know, in terms of sequels. You can't possibly know. But when I walked out of this film, I knew instantly there will never be a sequel to this. Yeah. This film. There'll never be a sequel to this. I don't think they've thought this through. They're not going to be able to come up with something satisfying to explain all this. To explain it in the way that I've just tried to explain it, to get through all the plot holes that race raises would mean it would be ridiculously exposition heavy. So, and none of the characters had stood up, had stood out. I mean, were we desperate to see the further adventures of Captain Leo Davidson? I mean... <laughs> Fade, fade, fade. I mean, Tim Roth did a good job, and it and the, the fade is very physical. There's a point point mm. where he leaps to kill a couple of people and beats them, and that's all very primal. I like that, but he's kind of a bit of a one note villain. He's not as interesting as somebody like Zaius. I, I don't think Zaius has so much more nuance to why he's doing what he's doing. And I feel a bit bad for Tim Roth because I kind of feel they've got somebody. You know, I I quite rate him as an actor. He's pretty. Um, you know, he's kind of known for these really sort of big powerhouse roles and I just kind of feel like he's, he's almost like wasted. He's got the physicality um, and he can really actively emote through layers and layers of makeup. But I kind of feel he's almost, even though for me, he was like the most effective in in this very strange little film. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel he was almost like wasted a little bit. He's kind of, yeah, I felt like he had so much more to give in the role. Um, and during like the physical scenes, I would have preferred to see a lot more of him. But I kind of feel like, why well, get something like Tim Roth and... Not use him properly, you know. Sorry to interject there, but I just kind of felt quite strongly about that. No, I can't really disagree. And I, I think as well with the human characters, they're, they're there to give Leo something to do and to sort of give him responsibility uh, and have a, a sort of a troop of people that we're supposed to care about. And I don't think... I only mentioned Estella Warren's character name in the last 10 minutes, Dana. Uh, Chris Christopherson, I've just called Chris Christopherson. He's called Ruby, but it, it, he made no impression. No, and he'll so, probably be Chris Christopherson for whatever reason. So, <laughs> but I did refer to him as Whistler when I was talking about Blade. Mm. So, it, it isn't Tom Cruise syndrome where he's Tom Cruise or he's Ethan Hunt and that's it. 
Um, and I, 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 I don't know. I just I couldn't see why how this would come back. And when you look at it, it was a reasonably sizable hit. It did three hundred and sixty-two million off a hundred million budget. That mm. is good enough to get you a sequel normally. Yeah, despite being like a, maybe a critical flop, but it was a box office hit, bizarrely. Yeah. So. And I, I cancelled sequel. Hang on, I'm just looking. Fox wanted to sequel. They said if it mm. was a success, and ultimately they decided against pursuing another film. Mm-hmm. Um, when they asked Tom, Tom Tim Burton if he was interested in coming back, he said, "I'd rather jump out a window." Yeah, I think the experience of it was all, was probably a bit much, <laughs> so they decided to go against the grain and not do it. Uh, yeah, there you go. That's it. There's, there's really not much more to say on it than that. Um, I suppose all Burton got out of it was Bonham Carter. He left his fiance. I was going to say this is it. They, they met on set, didn't they? And then they became a, a couple shortly after. Because his his uh, fiance at the time, uh, Lisa Marie, was actually in the film as well. So yeah, I, I, I yeah, reckon there, there must have been some sort of awkwardness on set. Um, or well, like, probably awkwardness or... at the premiere, and I thought. <laughs> yeah, the th- 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 isn't there actually a picture of both of them, all three of them together? I, I don't know. I've not looked for it. I'm just looking at Lisa Marie's um, Wikipedia page here. Um, I, I just think because because she broke up Ken and M as well. I just think don't let Helen the Bonham Carter your mm. husband's folks. <laughs> so, um, she met she met Tim Burton when he was having difficulty in his marriage. Mm. So he left his wife for her and then left her for Bonham Carter. Homework at HBC? No, not really. Yeah. Oh well. Did Daniel Craig do the same? I what? Mm, with Rachel yeah, there's Weiss. something going on there, wasn't there? Uh, Rachel Vice was with. Um, oh no, I don't know. Rachel Vice was obviously she just divorced Aronofsky. She oh no, they weren't married. She just split with Aronofsky. Oh, okay. Craig was seeing some Southeast Asian actress, I think, or model. I forget what she was, but I, I don't honestly, I don't have enough information and it's not my business, I suppose, to, to know whether like relationships overlapped or not. I, I really don't know. Um, but yeah, now to each their own, who am I to judge? But it's just like, <laughs> that's about the third time I've read like Helena Bonham Carter's broken up a relationship. It's like, behave yourself, love. <laughs> Because I'm looking at Lisa Marie here, and she actually kind of looks like a much, much, much thinner Nigella Lawson or something. Yeah, well, she she was the one in, in Mars Attacks, the, the the female alien. Right. Oh, okay. So I don't know. She hasn't done a lot in recent years, film-wise. Okay. Abruptly, ha, Burton abruptly ended their relationship following the premiere of 2000's Planet of the Apes. So that that answers our question. He went, "Let's just get through the fucking premiere, then I'll tell her." Oh Jesus Christ! So they're all God. stood there. Remember that premiere last week? Because <laughs> I, I I just kept thinking like it must have been shagging her on set, and she had no idea. Hopefully, well, do you reckon he was shagging her in the makeup? Probably. Imagine walking in on your fiance fucking what <laughs> looks like an ape. <laughs> Just be like, what, you know, okay, fair enough. She was in Woody Allen's film Alice. I've not seen that. Okay, fair enough. I've seen most of his films from that era. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think given we're only about an hour in, you can see how much we've struggled with this, listeners. It's, um, <laughs> I, I, 
I'm really wondering whether I think it's the worst in the series or not. In that, I really didn't like Beneath, and I really didn't like Battle. And when you watch this, it's at least got some sheen to it. It's at least got some style to it. It's got uh, some decent performances and all the rest of it. But I'm not sure. I think Beneath is the only film in this series so far I was this bored by. Like, Battle Mm. didn't really bore me. It was just a bit slight. Uh, Beneath, I struggled all the way through till the last act, which is all right. Here, the first act is a bit dumb, but at least it whips along. And then as soon as they're on the planet, I don't care about anybody. Um, And apart from Ari showing some sort of compassion and trying to teach, you know, the ape children not to bully humans and stuff like that, there's not much about that society to buy into either. No, it's just... All you're left with is a bit of a mirror image, isn't it? Really, it's like, oh, look look at this analogy, and it's like, right, okay. Yeah, there's there's a bit of lazy social commentary about you know they all look the same which is obviously some some races uh take that attitude towards others races um there are com- there's comment on the sort of thin line between sort of slavery and pet ownership and that sort of thing but after that it's just so what and, and whilst you would naturally have some kind of um empathy towards enslaved characters the characters are so thin that i don't really care so um, I think that's it for me, really. I, I think it was worse than I remember because I was looking forward to the excellent makeup, the excellent set design and everything else. And I thought if it can more or less whip along in the sort of shadow of the 68 film, I'll be entertained enough. But with a sort of very blank leading man at this stage, really uninteresting sort of supporting characters, uh, wonderfully made up apes. But outside of Ari, they're not that interesting. You know, I, I like Tim Roth. Thade is quite an interesting performance, but it's a very one-note character. And so I've just come out of this scratching my head and really bored, and it doesn't surprise me that we go through it sequentially, get ready to talk about it for 45 minutes or an hour or whatever it might be, and you find that within 10 minutes of starting, you're almost in the final act of the film. Yeah, I'm sure there's things we've like skimmed over, but... um... They did, they, but they clearly didn't grab us if we're skimming over them. No, um, and uh, uh, that's what I said at the start. Like you know, it's I, I, yeah. I knew I'd, I'd, I'd personally would struggle to remember what you know, you know about the film really, and and, that, and that's really why it's not it's not it's not even like hilariously bad. You know what I mean? It, it's just just so forgettable. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, so final thoughts from us all. You've, you've just had mine, really. I think you pretty much had mine, <laughs> okay. sadly. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got much more to say other than, like, yeah, it's 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 really forgettable, but, um, made by someone who Hart wasn't really in it, probably didn't want to be there, but, you know, whilst he was there. Uh, I think that just kind of says it all, really. It's just mostly sort of lavish production and... Um, not a lot of story. Yeah, it's just boring. Uninspired. I mean, yeah, the, the kind of set design is is good. Um, although it kind of seems a bit confused technology-wise. It all seems a bit kind of incoherent. Um, yeah, the makeup's amazing, um, as you'd imagine from Rick Baker. 
Um, I think Bonham Carter is is really the kind of saving grace of any of it. But yeah. yeah, it's just it's just really boring, and you don't care about any of it, especially with Marky Mark at the centre of it all. And uh, yeah, it's, it's whatever. It doesn't feel like a Planet of the Apes film. It just feels like Hollywood's just slapped it together to get a new franchise. Yeah, and that's all and, they care uh, about. And, and look how that worked out. Uh, yeah, I mean, we are, we are. Uh, the one thing we can say is we are coming on to better, much better. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, this is kind of, and and I don't hate the film I'm about to reference. I really don't, but it's it, it's kind of the Superman Returns of this franchise in that it sits in the middle, and you think this is the start of something, and then it just fades away and is largely forgotten, and it's neither fish yeah. nor fowl. Yeah, Becca. All of the above. Um... Yeah, I kind of yeah, I would be in agreement. Unfortunately, um, you know, obviously having you know some really big sort of he used the word powerhouse quite a lot. Also, like Tim Burton's quite a big name. Um, talked to Tim Roth as well, Michael Duncan, you know, HBC, you know, really sort of big names, and also um, dragging Charlton Heston's name up from the depths. Um, it really does kind of fall fall quite flat, really. And for me, I just. It, it, it dragged a little bit as well, um, and some of the sort of plot points were a little bit like, as you say, like the frolics in the bedroom was a little bit like, hmm. Um, it didn't kind of the social subtext kind of fell flat as well, really. Um, it's, it's just a shame because it's obviously meant to be quite a big sort of landmark temple movie. I think obviously maybe years before the, the phrase was popular, it just kind of fell flat, really. Um, which is a great shame, and it, yeah, it's a shame that you know the franchise will kind of more from here. But then I think it's the same. You know, same with the Bond film, for example. We have to have Diana the day, otherwise we, you know, we wouldn't have then gone on to have the amazing Casino Royale, for example. Um, so I think we had to kind of reach this point so we could then go on um, and have the amazing um, three films, you know, that, that we've had since, um, that really kind of helped to, you know, to, to lift it out out of those doldrums for sure. Um, but yeah, this is a one well, out of I five. I call the two thousands. Oh yeah, the early two thousands. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I think we kind of have to hit hit this hit this low point, uh, which is a great shame because you know had so so many great names attached to it. Um, and one di- yeah, the, just... the one difference I'd outline there, Becca, uh, though, is that when you look at the Bond series, uh, there's no reason this should have been going down the same path. And the reason I say that is the Bond series at that point was knocking the films out every couple of years. I know well, you exactly. had the I know you'd had the gap with with after license to kill and stuff no but, but there's still but, that trajectory but, there but, and but, definitely there's still that kind of frequency like or hate in brosnan was successful the films were doing all right golden at least was pretty well thought of um die another day is a series that kind of is just churning it out almost like automatically and like not really thinking and it needed to they needed to go away and rethink here there'd been no film in 27 years 28 years no, you know, there, there's really no excuse been a big to bring gap, it back. Really they'd had enough time to think it through, is what I'm saying. Mm, this, yeah, they had plenty of time, definitely. But I just try to think, you know, we've kind of got to, you know, hit the lows before we can hit the highs, or the other way around. You know, however you say it. This one, those things, kind of really, you have to sort of hit hit that low point, um, and then you can hit the reset button, um, and then, you know, only come out in sort of 2011, 2012, um, when these newer films start coming out um, in the in the series. Um, you know, you can hit that refresh button, um, and it would kind of, you know, it'd give rise to rise of the family apes and these sort of things, really. Uh, so I kind of think you have to almost go through that a little bit. It's just, you know, part of the process. Um, but I'm just trying to make excuses to why we have this absolute stinker of a movie. So. 
then I, I, I'd agree with you guys. It's not quite as effective as, as perhaps they set out to be. So. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And, you know, we've whipped through this in record time as a result. That just, that just shows you very often, like with the, with the bad films, either like if it's hilariously terrible, then we will stretch out. Um, but when it is pretty bad, you know, it, it just shows that, you know, the runtime of our show and how we struggle to say anything about it just speaks volumes, unfortunately. Yeah, our runtime is driven. I know we tangent all over the place, but running time is very often driven by how much fun we're having as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not saying we're not enjoying recording this, but when you're talking about a film that's hilariously bad, you, you go off in little tangents and funny things it reminds you of and stuff like that. And and here, you know, we spent 10 minutes talking about the early 2000s in general, and it's because there wasn't there isn't much here, really, which is a shame. Having said that, Chris, I don't know, do you think this film could be redeemed with some knowledge uh well uh the films left a, a void of of any kind of information so yeah I, I i think so do you think it could rehabilitate it to the greatest film ever made oh let's not go too far let's not be <laughs> i mean you know let's not work miracles here dave let's let's try out this experiment uh... we, have, we have the very scientific miss becca andrews let's just go for memorable <laughs> <laughs> not very scientific I hope by the end of this I feel it feel it <laughs> I don't feel it as they say um, yeah I, I was quite surprised this film garnered some awards what did it win so, <laughs> I have some fun facts but no, right. no monkey the, facts the, the sexiest looking ape <laughs> sexiest looking ape so yeah, Tim Roth, sporting actor, Helen Bonham Carter, sporting actress, and Colleen Atwood did the costumes, and Rick Baker, obviously, for the makeup, all received nominations at the Saturn Awards. Um, Colleen Atwood and Rick Baker were nominated at the um, the, the BAFTAs. Um, and music composer Danny Elfman was also nominated um, for his work at the 43rd Grammy Awards. Um, but unfortunately, Planet of the Apes won the worst remake at the 22nd Golden Razzie Awards, whilst Charlton Heston won the worst sporting actor. And Stella Warren, unfortunately, worst supporting actress, also won the Razzies. Um, however, also <laughs> did win 2002 Razzie for the worst remake and sequel. So it kind of is a mixed bag there, of course, also like Saturn Sci Fi Awards and also Razzies of 2002. So it kind of, you know, you've got to take the rust with the smooth. Um, fun fact number two, which isn't really a fact, but I thought it was quite funny. Um, Tim Roth was initially hesitant about filming alongside Dark Hudson as obviously president of the NRA because Tim Roth was obviously. Uh, you know, anti-gun, anti-gun ownership, anti-gun use. Um, but you know, he was always the pro, and Rover decided to rise above it because it was fiction. <laughs> I just, I just think, oh my god, you have to be professional, and you have to sort of try and, unless you do have creative differences. Um, but no, I just think because it was fiction, it's like, well, obviously it is. So I just, I think that's hilarious. Um, and David, you mentioned in, in the early part of the show, despite being critical, Planet of the Apes was this, um, considered a financial success because it outgrossed its $100 million budget. Uh, fun fact number four, it was actually the 10th tenth highest grossing movie in North America um, and the ninth highest worldwide for 2001. Um, and apparently it's the third highest grossing remake or sci-fi remake behind War of the Worlds and I Am Legend, which I think is quite interesting. And uh, for, the, for the iconic shot... Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't suppose you can count the Force Awakens, can you? No, we'll just avoid that one. <laughs> right, sorry, go on. 
I, I think that was an old list I was looking at. Um, I lost fun fact number five. ILA model makers created a five-foot fiberglass model of the ape Lincoln statue, um, along with a 12 by 15 foot miniature of the memorial um, to, to film the over the statue shot. So it just goes to show the sort of links that they went to um, to, to achieve that shot. And again, I struggle with equally fun facts. Sadly, the computer graphics that they had were not advanced enough to put emotions on Marky Mark's face. No, they weren't, unfortunately. <laughs> I wonder was, if they'll uh, ever go back and remake it and you know, have them digitally recreate it. I would say the most charitable thing I could say about Mark Wahlberg is he was a late developer. No, he's amazing. I, I don't dislike Mark Wahlberg at all. I think he has certain things he's better at, but I've enjoyed him in quite a few things. And that certainly wasn't the case for the earlier years of his career. I'm sorry, I still don't love this film, despite the wonderful factage. What about you, Chris? Um, I mean, I always enjoy Becker's fun facts, but um, yeah, it's not really saved the film, really. Just no, that couldn't really elevate it out of the doldrums. Sadly, it, it, it just makes me love Becker's fun facts even more. Oh. So, excuse me, stomach. <laughs> Actually, just regurgitated. <laughs> sorry, I do apologise. Yeah. <laughs> That wasn't actually my back, that was my stomach. I do apologise. Just because this film was rubbish, I'm like, <laughs> If you'd like to hear Becca's backside, come right to us and expect us to talk at you. You don't. Like, oh. <laughs> Ironically, I was meant to be having some kind of surgery to hopefully crack that, um, but no, I won't, so... Now, I'm not even going to ask any follow-up questions <laughs> there. All I'm going to say is, right, Becca told the three of us that she's got some surgery coming up because of our um, uh, of our schedule and stuff. And not one of us asked what it was because we want to be polite and discreet. And then no, I'm so, what, all of you. What, what, so she, you, you learned all this at the same time as we did. <laughs> no, it's uh, yeah, nothing quite related to that anyway. It's just digestive crap. But um, yes, and I won't be having it. So you have to hear me go <laughs> forevermore. Yeah. Although that was her mouth, I am imagining, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. Let's gross out you whilst I can. I think we've just passed the length of um, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Which also had uh, uh, Smell the Fart acting. Who was doing Smell the Fart acting in uh, that? It was the bad guy in that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, but it did have some wonderfully well-drawn characters like Exceedingly Handsome Man. <laughs> Exceedingly Handsome. As for social media, you can find me at the Past Kid 1976 on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. You can also find me um, at cinematronics.co.uk. You can find me on Twitter at Thumbs and Wax. And you can find us on Twitter at Expect Us to Talk. You can also visit us on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Podbay, Amazon Podcasts, and iTunes. Apple Podcasts, wherever you pick up your podcasts, you'll be sure to find us. Wherever you listen to us, don't forget Except to Amazon. rate us and review us and give us a five star review. It helps us to attract more listeners and rank higher in the searches. Thank you. Great. Well, I, I hope you feel that like this sums up our two hundred episode run like accurately and fairly. I feel like we need to do like an amazing film. It should be something monumental. I mean, our hundredth episode was from Washer with Love. Yeah, something and of our, that ilk. Our two hundredth episode was Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Get it on with some apes. Well, like I said, you got to take the rough with the smooth. Yeah. I no, no evidence that Marky Mark took anyone roughly, but. <laughs> I things do get better from here though folks which means Becca
Geospectre Talk will return with a review of Rise of the Planet of the Apes, aka Rot Pritter. 